Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Om Asatoma Sadagamaya Tamasomaham Jyotirgamaya Mrityormam Amritaham Gamaya Avir Ahavir Maedhi Rudra Yate Dakshinam Mukaham Te Namaham Pahinityam Om, lead us from the unreal to the real. Lead us from darkness unto light. Lead us from death to immortality and reach us through and through ourselves and evermore protect us from ignorance by thy sweet, compassionate face. My subject this morning is how to see God in everything. One of the great themes of this Vedanta philosophy. I'll quote you, begin with a quote here from Sri Ramakrishna. Sri Ramakrishna says, there are three kinds of devotees, the superior, the mediocre, and the inferior. The inferior devotee thinks of God as up there. The mediocre devotee thinks of God within his own heart. But the superior devotee sees God in everything. In the beginning, God created this universe. And God is infinite, and the universe is infinite. And so where did God go? Well, he can't be separate from the universe. And he can't be somehow inside of the universe or contained by it. And therefore, we have to conclude that God has become everything. Just as a lump of gold could be fashioned into a ring and a bracelet and some earrings, the gold is not separate from those jewelry. The gold is not somehow inside of the jewelry, but the gold has become all of those things. In the language of the Upanishads, Sarvam Kalviram Brahma. All this is Brahman. Nobody knows who discovered this or how this idea came about within our imagination. Maybe we can project ourselves back thousands of years, at least 3,000 years in the era and the time of the Upanishadic saints and sages. And we can imagine a sage who is meditating and doing spiritual practices in the caves of, of the Himalayas. Seated alone in that dark cave, he realized God within his own heart and mind. And after all many years of that spiritual practice and with that realization within his heart, he emerged from that cave. And as he walked through, he walked around, he looked all around him. He looked up to the trees and in the sky and all around he saw God in everything. The God that he had realized within his heart he saw everywhere. And we have the great Sanskrit verses composed thousands of years ago, maybe written by that very sage when he says, Nilapatango haritolohitakshas, tadid garba ritavasamudra, anadi matvam vibhutvena, tase yato jatani bhuvanani vishwa. That is, he's describing what he's seeing as he's walking now through the forest. He looks up and he sees that there is a blue parrot in the trees. He sees that there's a, there's a, there, 
There's a green butterflies flying through the leaves of the trees. He hears the rolling of the thunder and he says, thou art. That's the, ver- or the words of the, of the verse. You see, thou art that, uh, the, that, that, um, the butterfly and the parrot and the rolling of the thunder and the sun and the sky. And you are that being who has become all of the trees and the plants and the, and the, that he sees in the forest. And he walks along and he's stunned and amazed to see all this going down through the, to a nearby village. He sees some people working in the fields and he says, Tom Stri, Tom Pumanasi. Tom Kumara Utava Kumari, Tom Jirno Dandena Vanchasi, Tom Jato Bhavasi Vishwato Mukaha. Old Sanskrit verses, thousands of years old, kind of recording his vision. He says, there the says, quoting the sage, he says, You are the man, you are the woman. You are the children playing in the fields. I see you're the old man walking along with a stick. You can visualize him as he's seeing these things and he's seeing the divinity which he's realized within himself. He sees within the world around him. So this is our theme this morning, seeing God in everything. How would you think you would feel if uh, you saw God in everything? How would you feel? Well, maybe we could just, in our imagination, we could think about some the most impressive things. If you think some grand, majestic, impressive sight that you've seen in your life, maybe you uh, saw for the first time, some time in your travels, the Grand Canyon. And maybe you uh, walked over to the edge of that Grand Canyon and you had many expectations of what you would see. You looked over the side and no doubt you were stunned and amazed at what you saw. No doubt you had a feeling of uh, surprise, a feeling of wonder, a feeling of awe when you looked at that one of the great natural wonders of the world. Maybe for a time, you forgot yourself. Maybe for a time you forgot your your problems and your life. You're transfixed by the, this vision before you of that great canyon and uh, maybe your own self-consciousness and your own world slipped away as you stood before that great vision. Well, of course, God is not like the Grand Canyon, but... God is more maybe like we could think about light. The great metaphor for the divinity within our heart and within all beings is that of the divine light. And we could imagine that um, the feeling that we have, maybe you've read in the old the old history books, I still somehow I always associate this with this kind of particular theme, the earliest discovery, and it's a fascinating story if you can if you can read that story yourself about the first discovery of the in, in the of the archaeologists of the pyra the the tombs of Tutankhamun near the in Egypt when they first discovered an English archaeologist his name was Howard Carter 1922. They thought that there, there existed this tomb, King Tut's tomb. Nobody knew where it was. There are legends of it in the old Egyptian texts. And, and finally, one day, somehow they found this in the sand underneath all this rubble. They found a, what looked like a door. He began to sweep away little by little by little, and they, they, they opened this door, and they, the two English archaeologists walked down. No light, no light. Uh, no like flashlights or anything like that it, so long ago. Carrying candles, they walked down this long corridor, and uh, then they came to doors. They opened these doors, and finally, they, they, when they opened the final door, they looked in, he held the corridor, held a candle into this room that hadn't been opened for thousands of years. And um, 
His friend said, well, can you see anything? Yes, he said, I see wonderful things. And he began to recount out, out of that treasure room, they took, they took jewelry and they took amazing furniture. And there was a whole chariot. And there, was, there were weapons and there were thousands of items in there, uh, which came like a brilliant light to illumine uh, the history of ancient Egypt. So like that, we can imagine how those archaeologists felt at that moment with that flickering candlelight. He held it in that dark room and he saw the dazzling jewels of all the, uh, of those ancient kings. We can only imagine how we would feel if we saw God in everything. Imagine how we would, uh, how you would act if in fact that was your realization? Well, we get a little idea, maybe, by reading the lives of the saints and sages. And um, if you read, for example, in the complete works of Swami Vivekananda, you remember that he met in a small town in North India called Gajipur. He met a saint. His name was Pavhari Baba. And uh, that saint lived in a small little, well, what today is like an ashram, but he's a small little building. And within that building, he had dug himself. He was not content just to live alone in that, in that uh, house. So rather, he dug down into the floor a, a cave, and he kept digging and digging until he had formed a large chamber under the ground. And there he lived in that cave, and he did his spiritual practices uh, underground. Well, he became known as a famous saint. One day, Pavhari Baba, after his devotions, he was resting in the late afternoon, and he heard a little commotion in the cooking area. A thief had come in through the window, and was he had a cloth there, and he was gathering the few poor pots and pans that were put them in that cloth and he wrapped them up in the cloth and the thief was climbing out the window and that was the sounds that the saint heard. He walked over to that kitchen and surprised the thief. The thief seeing him dropped his bundle, climbed through that window and ran away. And Pavari Baba, seeing that, he ran over, he, he grabbed the bundle himself, climbed through the window. He chased after that thief Finally catching him, he says, oh, revered sir, oh, Narayana, he says. Narayana means addressing the spirit of the divine within the heart of that thief. He says, oh, Narayana, I said, you came, you've gone into so much trouble to, to gather these, the, the bundle. You forgot your bundle, please take this. And he knelt down before the thief, offering him the bundle of pots and pans. Of course, the thief was... <laughs> Stunned, he didn't know what to say, so embarrassed. Well, that story, uh, Swami Vivekananda, the founder of this society, in the course of his travels, he heard that story when he visited in Gajipur. And later on, in uh, the Himalayas, he was during his wandering years in Himalayas, he met a monk uh, who was. Uh, a wandering sannyasin of a very high order. And there one evening as they, together by the Dhuni fire, they were sharing stories. And that sannyasin, that is that monk, they began to talk about, yes, another saint we visit, Pavhari Baba. Have you ever heard of that? Yes, says the, the, the wandering sannyasin says, yes, I visited him. And he told the same story. To Swami Vivekananda and the thief, and the after her day of radio, that story he said, and you know, I know that it's true, because I am that thief. And so it had, he had changed his life. Later on, he became a holy man. So we read in the lives of the saints, they realized God. And so sometimes, uh, if we're lucky, we can find incidents, yes, where they're in their behavior. And that's why it's so valuable for us to read the lives of the saints and sages. You remember, and there was one saint in North India. His name was Kabir Das. 
He too had realized God within his heart, and one day as he sat there by the side of the road after his rounds of begging, he had gone around and he'd gotten a, a, some, some bread, that is a chapati, like a, and he got, someone had also given him some ghee, which is like butter. And so he had this treasure now. He had, a, he had one chapati and he had a little butter uh, in his hand that was going to be his food. And... Uh, as he sat there with his food, his eyes closed, uh, uh, saying his prayers, a dog on the street came up and just walked up there, snatched that chapati out of his hand, ran away. And immediately Kabir Das, he opened his eyes, saw what had happened, chased after that dog and uh, calling out to the dog. He said, oh, revered sir, he said, please don't eat that. That uh, dry bread is not good. Said you have to, you should have the butter with the bread. Well, these are the stories of the saints and the sages, how they had realized God in everything. How did they be how did they feel? How did they behave? Well, let's talk about that. How to see God in everything. Well, first place thing we can say is, is that everything is a big place. Everything means what well, do we mean everything? We mean the sun and the stars and the moon. And the, the, the earth and the, and the nether worlds and the, and the afterworlds and, and the, the forests and the trees and the plants and the animals. Uh, so maybe we need to, to focus in on one thing rather than try to think about seeing God in everything, although that's our ideal. We have to begin somewhere. It'd be good for us to begin with the best thing where we can begin with, with man. We can begin with the eye, looking into the eyes of the men and the women around us, where that Satchidananda, that highest moral consciousness, reflects in the buddhi of a, of a human kind. And therefore, we look here, we can begin our, our um, practice here of seeing God in everything. We can begin by focusing on the people around us, the human kind, the people that we that we meet and that we interact with every day. We can begin with the very, we can begin with the very beginning. Swami Vive, quoting here from Swami Vivekananda, a very interesting um, uh, letter that he wrote. You can find it in volume four, the complete works is called What We Believe In. Very short uh, it's a good summary here of this Vedanta philosophy. And in there he begins to say, he says there, we believe it is the duty of every soul to treat, think of, and behave to other souls as such, that is, as gods. I'm reading to you now from the quotation here. Behave to other souls as such, that is, as gods, and not to hate or despise or vilify or try to injure them by any manner or means. This is the duty not only of the saint, but of every man and woman. And so he begins there with the fundamental teaching here, that spiritual practice begins by recognizing the dignity of all mankind fundamental teaching of this whole philosophy, that teaching from which everything else is, is derived, is the divinity of man. How do we know the divinity of man? Well, we, have to, we begin with the dignity of man. Every human being has that, he has that dignity. That is, begins by, we can, and we can begin by recognizing and acknowledging that what is that? What is God? God just means satchirananda, the existence, the consciousness, the bliss. So therefore, we can begin by acknowledging and becoming aware and appreciate, becoming aware of the existence of the other person by recognizing the other person, that the other person standing next to you exists. To recognize that is a acknowledgement of the spiritual reality. The, um, and therefore, beginning to see, to beginning to appreciate that, that the, a person 
And this is, of course, this is such a, this is a fundamental, that's the foundation of democracy. This is the foundation of the, of the, the, of the ideals of the enlightenment, but it's something that we may sometimes forget that each human being is an end in himself, not to be used for your own personal selfish purposes, but to be, to acknowledge their dignity, their freedom, that never, you will never coerce, that is, as a spiritual aspirant, you will never coerce another person. Because you recognize that they are human. That means they have free will. They act as according to their own sweet will. And uh, yeah. this doesn't mean you can't use necessary force. It just means you have to acknowledge that there's a point beyond which you have to recognize that the dignity of man. So we can begin. We're talking about how to begin, how to see God in everything. We can begin by seeing God, by seeing, how do we see God? Well, we have to start somewhere. We can start by seeing the good in everyone. God in good. What is God? God what is good? Good means godly. And so by seeing, by, when we relate with others, seeing those godly qualities, which we call virtues, and... Uh, as you know, the Vedanta teaches that we have, there are certain moral virtues. There are certain fundamental moral virtues, six or seven in number, which uh, are cardinal foundational virtues. Virtue is uh, uh, spirituality. It's the foundation of spirituality. It rests on virtue and character, and therefore by appreciating the moral character of another person, that is, by, by their virtues, and by the positive qualities which reinforce and amplify their virtues, that is, by seeing the good in the other, that we, uh, we take a step towards seeing the God in them, that is, rather than seeing the God as the light, rather than, the, rather than, rather than a, a negative, fault-finding approach. This is why in all spiritual teachings, hypercriticism and fault-finding is considered to be a, um, that's an obstacle in your spiritual progress. Why is that? Because that's seeing the, well, we, as we would say, seeing the negative, seeing the dark side. And as we see the dark side, you can't see the light. So this is the idea beginning our spiritual practice, uh, moving in that direction. The scriptures tell us that um, God is in everything. God has become everything. This is, this, this, this is a teach, the teaching here is that this is a fact, that this is a, that this is a, that this is the, the received teaching is that if God is in everything, there's nothing, uh, it doesn't have to, no, we don't have to change anything. God in every, God has become everything. There's nothing hide. God is not hidden. And the only thing that prevents us, we may say, well, then why don't I see it? The only thing that prevents us from seeing it is because we, are, we see through a glass darkly. That is, we, the teaching of the, of the Vedanta philosophy, that under the veil of avidya, that is a veil of, of self-ignorance of our own divinity within ourselves, and the veil which prevents us from seeing the divinity in all beings, as a result, we, we see through a glass darkly. And uh, we, living in denial of our own self, we naturally are living in denial of the divinity of everywhere, and our minds are closed to that possibility, are closed to that. Uh, and in fact, we could say that uh, to a large extent, our realization of this divinity within ourselves and, the, and seeing God in everything is just a matter of changing our attitude, changing our thoughts, changing the way that we think about ourselves and about the world around us. Let me tell you a story about changing your mental attitude. Somehow by changing your mind and your thoughts, this is fundamental, this is the teaching of the Vedanta philosophy. What prevents, you're already a divine immortal soul. What prevents you from realizing that within? 
it's just your false belief that you're not a divine immortal soul, that you believe you have false beliefs which are superimposed. Those false beliefs have to be removed. And once the, those false beliefs are removed, you're already infinite. And once you remove the false beliefs from the world around us, then we discover God in everything. Well, once upon a time, there was a man who lived in a city, and it was a very big city, and he was not happy there. The city was uh, couldn't hardly see the sun during the day, so much smoke from the factories and the smog in the air, and the, the roads and the highways were jammed with cars, and there was so much traffic, and there were so many people, and gangs roamed the streets. And he thought to himself, I'm living in a veritable hell here. I wish I could somehow escape from all this. And uh, one day he remembered that he'd heard tell of a story, kind of a legend, of a lost city of joy. And he thought to himself, yeah, if I could, and he said, you know, I know that my lucky number, is five, four is my lucky number. I think if I leave this city, and I'm going to journey, travel for four days. He says, I know, I feel lucky. I feel like I, maybe I can discover for myself that city of joy. And so thinking, he gathered up his uh, belongings, put them on his uh, shoulder, and he set off. And uh, during the day, the first day, he walked and he walked over hill and dale. In the evening, he came to us by the side of the road in the forest. He unpacked his little belongings and uh, arranged them, and then he, he put his, his sandals on the road in the way direction that he was going, and he, and he uh, fell asleep. Next morning, he got up, gathered his belongings, came over, put his feet in his sandals, continued in the direction he was going, and he walked all day long. In the evening, he came again to the side of the road, arranged his things by the side of the road, put his sandals in the direction they were going, and he fell asleep. Well, so it happened that during the night, a practical joker came by that way. Saw those sandals by the side of the road. Came over there, turned the sandals around. Well, the next morning, the traveler, he got up, he looked around, the sun was shining, birds were singing, yes, yes, I coming. This is my third day, he thought. I'm getting, gonna get, I'm getting closer to my goal. I can just feel, I feel good about it. Went over, he put his feet in his sandals and uh, got his belongings, continued, journeyed all day long. That night he came to the side of the road, unpacked his, his thing, arranged them, slept that night, came out, put his feet in his sandals, continued on the fourth day. And he was so excited. And sure, he came up to the, up a hill, up the top of a hill. There he he was stunned and amazed. There he saw right in before him a big city laid out. Wow, he said, this is it. This is it. He saw smoke coming up out of the factories of that city. Ah, this must be a very prosperous place. Look at all these factories. Look at all this. Look at the cars, all those roads, all those cars. Many people live here. Must be wonderful. Otherwise, why would they be living here? And he saw all the people on the streets. And thinking in himself, yes, I've found that lost city of joy. And we walked down, walked through the gates, and seeing everyone smiling on his face, people still began smiling at him. He settled down there. He lived happily ever after. <laughs> and so, uh, maybe you don't believe that's a little not possible, but that's uh, how we can change our thoughts. That's the story about the man. How to Our question here is how to see God in everything. This spiritual practice that I'm talking about this morning has um, two uh, different aspects. One of them is uh, psychological, interior. It's all about changing. It's all about it's in your head. It's all about changing the way you think and feel about yourself and others. And the other part of the practice is all about your, uh, your speech and your behavior and how you interact in the world. This morning, we're only talking about half this subject. We're talking this morning about the, the inner practice, 
That is about your thought, your thought, feeling, speech, and action. So this morning we're talking about the thought and the fe- how you change your thoughts and your feelings. Remember, where do your feelings come from? Your feelings come from your thoughts. Where does your speech and actions, your behavior in the, in the marketplace, where does that derive from? Your thoughts and feelings. So that's first. We have to lay the foundation. In a later lecture, we'll talk more about what we call practical Vedanta. This is, a, this is the whole subject, practical Vedanta. In a later, sub, later uh, lecture, we'll talk about our, how, our, how this will manifest in our behavior in the marketplace. But don't think that that uh, part where we're actively engaged with other people, don't think that that's more practical than the preparatory foundational stage that is what goes on in your own head. Because without that, there is no spiritual practice. So that's, the, that's our overall meta-subject here, is the subject here of practical Vedanta. What is practical Vedanta? Seeing God in everything. And the behavior, the thoughts, the feelings, the speech, and the action that's associated with that. That's what we're talking about. Although this morning we're focusing on the inner practice, how we change our thinking how we change our way of our, uh, of our thinking. So um, how to see God in everything? Well, we have a problem, and that is that God, we have a, our problem here is with the first word, God. That is, God is like, as far as we're concerned, God is a big X. That is, we don't know what God is. We don't know what spirit is. And we don't know what our self, that is the self of the capital S, we don't know that. So we're in pretty much in ignorance about all these things. That's why this is considered to be such an advanced course. Although we're talking about it this morning as beginners on the path. But we have that problem that God is invisible. God is intangible. God is largely inconceivable to us. And therefore... If we're going to do any kind of practice at all, we need to um, do something. We need to do something to make that idea more concrete, more more manageable. And uh, according to the yoga psychology, there are two ways of doing this. One is called the use here. I'm going to give you two Sanskrit words: the pratika and the pratima. These are two good words which you can incorporate into your vocabulary, although they're not crucial. They're not, uh, they're not of the, uh, uh, the, the, the seven, six or seven words, which, Sanskrit words, which you have to have. Some of these words, some words you have to have. Some words it would be good to have. One is the pratika. Let's look here at the idea of the pratika is a thing which is like God, but it's not God. It's near something which is, in other words, we can't imagine what God is. He's too great, too vast, too infinite. But we can imagine things which are kind of like God. And in the Upanishads, many meditations were given on these pratikas. That means, for example, you can read in the Upanishads instructions about how to meditate on uh, the sun, how to meditate, um, well, I'll give, you, I'll give you one that goes back even before that. Meditate on a tree. Okay? A tree is an embodied symbol of infinity. And if you think about the symbolism, the metaphor of a tree, a tree is like meditating on God. That's a pratika. It's not God, but it's kind of, it, it reminds us of God. Similarly, we can meditate on the sun. Similarly, in the Upanishad, we meditate on infinite space. And uh, this practice of the pratika, it's called Arundhati Nyaya. In Sanskrit, the, the, it, there's, there's a story that goes with it, or an anecdote that goes with it, and that, and that is that there was a woman who, her name was Arundhati, and she was the wife of a sage, Vishishta, and she was like an ideal, perfect wife. And when she died, she became a star in heaven. And the tradition is in India, in, in ancient India, and if you, if you, in, in a marriage ceremony, 
you're married according to the old-fashioned traditional Indian customs, that you have to uh, be taken, you and your newly wed, uh, your, your wife, have to go with the priest in the night and look, the priest has to show you that star, Arundhati. It's the good luck for both the bride and the groom to look up in the heavens and see that shining star. But the problem is that star is very dim. It's very faint. And uh, it's part of the great bear constellation. But it's very difficult to see that. And therefore, the priest has got to point to other stars. Or maybe what he does is they position them under a tree. And he points to a branch on the tree. And he says, you see that branch? Oh, yeah, I see that. Well, now look between. You see that twig? Yes. Okay, now look between that. They look between that. See that star right between those two? Yes. Then they can see that star. That's called the Arundhati Nyaya. Nyaya means the method of seeing the star Arundhati. Similarly, it is with our practice of seeing God in everything. We can employ a pratika. That is, although we can't see God directly, we can see something within. Now we're talking about relating relation. We're talking about divinizing our relationships with others. And we're talking about when you meet another person, rather than uh, uh, noticing what kind of car he drives, or rather noticing what uh, uh, the, the, the clothes, the kind of clothes and the style of clothes that he's wearing, rather than noticing, first off, their physical features. Are they tall or are they short or their height or their weight or how they speak? Rather, we can begin by focusing on a good pratika, which is the mind. Now, in our, when we, that, is, that is the practice here is that when you address another person, you look into their eyes, the eyes of the windows of the soul, and you address their mind. Now we can't see the mind with our with our gross physical eyes, but with the with our own mind we can see with the eye of the mind we can relate to the other mind, and thus we can um, immediately uh, up level and upgrade our relationship. That is our relation. Our transaction is no longer. A, a sensory physical transaction. Now at least we've elevated it to a, a relating to a, the inner person. And as you remember, we've discussed this before when we talked here about the, the human affection and divine love. When we talked about the animal love, human love, and divine love. And how when you see, when we, that's a great, that, that, that to, uh, Seeing, relating to the person. Human love is all about, is all about a connect, a, a union between two persons. And that is to, um, so looking there at the mind. If you want to read about in more detail about this practice, you can read, for example, in a book called The Master as I Saw Him by Sister Nivedita, who was a disciple of Swami Vivekananda, the founder of this society. She used to practice this. And she writes about it in her book, The Master as I Saw Him. Uh, her practice of seeing God, and that's how she would relate to, um, to other people. You notice our subject this morning, it's about, it's kind of, you could say, it's about relationships. Well, not really. It's about, it's about uh, deifying our relationships. This morning we're not talking about going within, we're talking about relating to the human beings around us. How do we relate to them? How do we spiritualize everyday life or relationships? Then the way, the way we do is, see, an ordinary relationship is not spiritual. Our ordinary relationship is, is, an, is, is an emotional entanglement. What we need to do is to upgrade that, that how we relate to others, so it become so we're beginning, or we're making an effort to relate to the soul of the other person. So uh, that's what we're talking about. We're talking here about uh, the pratika. Okay, there we can also let me, let's go to another two two methods. Another method was the use of the pratima. Now the pratima is a 
quite different here from the pratika. The pratima is a, is a symbol or an image. And if you've been initiated by a guru and you've practiced meditation, then your guru, that is if you're in this lineage here and you practice yogic meditation as instructed by your teacher of this lineage, that he will give you a, a visual image of the divinity within yourself. You have to meditate on God with form. That form may be a personal form or it may be an impersonal symbolic form. Uh, for example, one very traditional uh, symbol that is pratima for meditation is the, sim is the, is the form of a, of, a, uh, of a divine light within your heart. And thus, even from the most ancient times of Patanjali and yoga aphorisms, uh, aspirants were instructed to meditate on God as the light within, within you. And so, uh, following the instructions of your teacher, you meditate on that inner light. Now, in, the, in, our, in your practice here of the seeing God in everything, you can take that, that image, which is that image of that inner light, and begin to... Um, See that light, that symbolic light of divinity in everyone that you meet. Now, I recall a, that my spiritual teacher uh, in San Francisco, he used to relate it on one occasion. His, um, he didn't talk much about himself, but on one occasion he's, he shared this anecdote where he, um, when he was a student, before he had joined the monastic order, he had become under the influence of the, the Vedanta philosophy. And he used to practice there the Vedanta philosophy. It's called vichara, that is discriminating about the soul within, the self within us, that we have to do our catechism that say, I'm not the body, I am not the mind, I am a divine immortal soul, right? The negation and the affirmation, that's the practice. But following this, he, in addition to this, he would practice the, what we're discussing this morning, that is seeing God in everything. And just as a student, he would sit uh, coming home from school, he would sit on a little hillock, and he'd look at the cows grazing the fields, and he would discriminate in this way, not within himself, but without the cows. He'd say, okay, they're not the hoofs, they're not the head, it's not the tail, but there's like a, it's like the, the divine spirit soul within them. That is, he would try in his imagination to uh, see that divine light within those cows. Well, time passed, months and months and months passed, you see, kind of got discouraged. But one day, he says on his way home, uh, he forgot all about that practice. And as he walked down the trail to his little village there, a cat ran across the road. He looked at the cat, he saw as if it was gleaming with light. And... Uh, well, his mind had become, after all that practice, didn't work for the cows, but somehow it worked for, that, worked for the cat. It, his mind had become more refined, and he was able to see and penetrate through the name and form, and just for a glimpse, for a, for a moment, he had a glimpse of the inner um, the light within. So, similarly, let's look here at this, this practice, this visualization practice. Uh, can imagine that you're seated in the morning and you're doing your meditations instructed by your spiritual teacher. Well, it may be also that at that quiet hours you're going to plan your day. In the course of planning your day, it would be good to think about, to allow the images of the people that you will meet during that day to come up into your mind, just float before the, on the screen of your inner mind there. And as you see those uh, uh, those people one by one, maybe you will select and choose just one particular person. You choose one particular person who will, uh, and on thinking of that person, you can think, you can do like your spiritual catechism. Think of that person as a divine immortal soul or as a, as, as, as a divine, just for a moment, you associate those ideas with that, with that person. And resolve to, when you meet that person much later on in the day, this afternoon, at your appointment, resolve that you will address them as a, a light being or as a divine spirit soul. And you may forget all about your practice, but it's later on that when you actually do meet that person, you'll find that you'll recall that that recollection will come back. And it may be fleeting for just a moment. 
but uh, it'll have its impact. That is, it's a samskara. It will leave that impression in the mind. And for a moment, at least, you can look at that person and make your... You can take a baby step forward in this practice. That's all we're talking about here is beginning to take such steps towards seeing God in everything. Doing so, as you begin this practice, you'll see that um, you'll begin to feel differently about people that you meet. That is our feelings. The way we feel about everyone and about particular people is that feelings are derived from thoughts. And how we feel is derived from how we think. If we begin to think about another person, certainly in this way, in the highest, at the highest level of spiritual practice, that it will have an effect on how we uh, feel about others, uh, we'll start to respond subtly, diff- or start subtly to respond differently to others, and others will respond differently to us, and uh, we'll feel better about ourselves. That is, our, uh, we're, seeing, we're, we're, t- we're talking here about seeing ourselves in everything. It'll amplify our, our awareness of our own divine, immortal self. And it's, this stands to reason. It's perfectly natural because this world is a house of mirrors. Everywhere that we go, we see ourselves in some form or other. And uh, if we change, when we change how we think about ourselves, that is this practice, of course. It goes along with your sadhana, changing your own beliefs about yourself. That goes. We're not discussing that this morning. You will begin to see in other people. This spiritual practice that we're talking about this morning, I told you there's two aspects to it. The inner practice, psychological practice, which we focused on this morning, and the derivative practice, which is about our behavior in the marketplace, Uh, which we'll discuss on another occasion. These two together constitute what's called practical Vedanta. You can read about practical two great lectures given in the year 1890-96, Swami Vivekananda, Volume 2. It's called Practical Vedanta. This practice is a very unique kind of spiritual practice. It doesn't, you know, ordinarily when we talk, we talk here about uh, the four kinds of spiritual practices. They neatly kind of align with Jungian character types, karma yoga, bhakti yoga, and we sort different practices into these, these categories. This practice this morning, it doesn't fit neatly into any one of those categories. But if you think about it, it really derives the, ascent, the essential aspect of each one. That is to say, when we talk here, Certainly about Raja Yoga, it requires our attention and our focus of our, of, our, of our attention. In terms of Karma Yoga, it's all about Karma Yoga when we talk here about controlling our thoughts, our, feel, our, our speech and our actions, and how it will manifest later in our practical dealings with other people and in our relationships. Certainly, it's all about jnana yoga. Its foundation of this is the Vedanta philosophy of the Dvaita Vedanta philosophy and the divinity of man. And certainly, it's about bhakti yoga because it's all about a relationship. It's about uh, the divine relationship with the other, the relationship with God, not in heaven, the God within, the democratic God of the Vedanta philosophy. That is the God uh, in everything. This practice is a wholly new kind of spiritual practice. It's something which um, it has a solid foundation in the ancient teachings of the Upanishads. And um, the foundational teaching of, the, of this Vedanta philosophy is, of course, it's to achieve moksha. After moksha, after you achieve liberation, so it's they say that if you if your mind comes down to a lower plane and you become aware of the world again, you experience sarvatma bhava. That means you see yourself in everything, seeing God in everything. That's the traditional uh, uh, way of explaining our subject, positioning our subject this morning. After you've achieved samadhi and liberation, after that. 
if your mind comes down to a lower plane, you will have this experience. That's the traditional approach to that. In the new dispensation of this Vedanta philosophy, with this lineage of Swami Vivekananda, we find a radically kind of a different perspective on this. This teaching, seeing God and everything, was taught in ancient times. You can read about it in the Isha Upanishad, where we're instructed to see God in everything. And, uh, but somehow the practice was forgotten and it was lost in time. It was never, it never, it never became, uh, one, never entered into the general spiritual practices of ancient times, of ancient India. And it was, and it was forgotten. And, uh, the assumption was, is that maybe if after you achieve Brahmagyana, maybe you would have that experience. But in this lineage, the emphasis, the, the, the new teaching, that is the new perspective, is that uh, the realization of the saints is the practice of the devotees. That is, the realization of the siddhas is the sadhana of the sadhaka. That is your practice because they, they have realized that that is our practice. And this is the, what's the new aspect of this, to regarding this experience as a form of practice, something that we as beginners in spiritual life can begin to experience and to take baby steps forward to realizing this ideal, the ideal of Sarvatma Bhava, seeing God in everything. Om Dyo Ushantihi Antariksha Hamshantihi Pritivi Ishantihi Apashanti Oshadaya Shantihi Vanaspataya Shantihi Vishwe Deva Shantihi Brahma Shantihi Sarabam Shantihi Shantireva Shantihi Same Shantiredhi Om Shantihi 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 Om peace is in heaven, peace is on the earth, peace is in the sky and in the waters. The herbs and plants and trees are full of peace. The gods are peaceful. May this eternal universal peace enter our souls and beings. Om peace, peace, peace be unto us all. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.